and I'm going to be in the book of Numbers. That's uh, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible. I'm going to be in the book of Numbers and chapter number 21. Now, let me give you a little background of what's going on, because we're just kind of jumping in into a chapter here. In the book of Numbers, in chapter number 21, let me tell you what's been happening. Okay, so the nation of Israel, the, one of the things about Israel is Israel is God's chosen people. And we find out, and we learn a lot of things about them, especially in the Old Testament. And uh, one of the things about God's people is that they had spent uh, several hundred years as slaves in Egypt. Boys and girls, it was not a good time to be an Israelite. Because if you were an Israelite back then, they were all slaves in the land of Egypt. But you know what God did was God raised up a prophet by the name of Moses. And God raised up Moses and Moses went before Pharaoh, <coughs> who was kind of like the king of that <laughs> of, uh, of Egypt. And he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh basically said, you know, who's the Lord that I should have to obey him. And so God sent a bunch of plagues on the nation of Egypt and sent all these horrible things so that they're, so that God kind of got their attention by doing that. So, uh, so the nation of Israel is finally allowed to leave. They leave out from, uh, from the land of Egypt. They're no longer slaves and they're headed towards a special place. The Bible says that God was sending them towards a promised land. God had a place for his people, Israel to live. And uh, so they were, you know, so they're traveling from Egypt and heading towards this promised land. And the Bible says in Numbers chapter 21, verse number four, it says, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, it says to compass the land of Edom. Now, Here's what's happening. So, you know, if you're trying to get from here, you know, Egypt over here to the promised land, you know, the best thing to do is just go like straight at it, you know, just kind of, okay, you know, let's go this way. But, you know, some of you, you know, maybe like you ever gone into your, into the store uh, with your mom and she says, we're going in to get, you know, milk, we're getting eggs, we're getting water, something like that, which, you know, it's like from here to here, but somehow she makes it like this. And like three, three days later you leave something like that. Yeah. So that, so that was, so that was sort of what was going on with the nation of Israel, because you know what had happened was was they were coming and they're traveling through. And as they're coming through, they came upon a land. The Bible says it was the country of Edom. They, they were coming to the country of Edom. And so basically they're wanting to kind of march through the nation of Edom to get, you know, keep on going towards the promised land. But you know, the nation of Edom told them, no, you're not allowed to come through our country. And so the nation of Israel now, you know, they're kind of coming up this way. They have to go now all the way around Edom. And people, it was a long trip. How, how many of you hate long trips? Who hates long trips? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, my my life is like a big long series of long trips. Um, you know, boys and girls, one of the longest uh, long, one of the longest days I've ever had. My wife and I have done two days of this. Uh, we have had the longest trips we have done with all our traveling to different places and preaching. I've done we have twice. We've done sixteen hour days. Got in the got in the car at six in the morning and got in at eleven at night and it was quite a day. Did you know that in sixteen hours you can get from from Washington D.C. to Miami? Did you know that you can get all the way from there to there? Uh, that was just one. That was one of the days that we did in sixteen hours. And, um, and you know, a, a lot of you don't like long trips. And, you know, they just get they get really. You're, oh, you're talking out. Oh, you've got to be listening. You got to be listening if you want to win the uh, you want to win the the balloon. So this is um so 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 they were doing this big old long trip. They're trying to travel on this trip and. Uh, as they're going along, the Bible says in verse number four, it says that the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. In other words, the people got very sad. They got discouraged because the trip was taken so, so long. And then notice what it says, though. Verse number five says, and the people spake, they spoke against God. 
Okay, now we got a problem. Because the people of Israel now, they weren't just saying, oh, oh, this is a hard trip. Now they were, now they were starting to get mad at God for giving them a long trip. Boys and girls, that is not a good thing to do, getting, getting angry at God. Not only did they get angry at God, but it says they, they speak against God, and it says they spoke against Moses. They got mad at Moses, their leader. They got mad at God, and so they began to complain. How many of you, have your parents ever told you, stop complaining? Stop complaining. Why do you complain, friends? Stop complaining. You ever heard your parents say, stop complaining? Yeah. Well, guess what? These people in Israel were about to complain. It says they, they, they spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They said, there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth. It hates this light bread. See, what God was doing was he was providing a special kind of food called manna every day. It was a miracle every day. But you know what? The people of Israel, they didn't like that manna anymore. They had been eating it so much. They didn't have any regular bread. They didn't have any water. And they just began to complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. Just like some boys and girls and just like some adults. Hey, come on now. I worked in a grocery store for about 13 years. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the only way you survive a day at work is if everyone complains together? You ever notice that? Yeah, is that not sometimes reality? Uh, that, that's just, and you know, that is something that we just, um, that is just done on a normal basis, just happens all the time. And so we, we see it and, and all, and we just say, oh, yeah, well, this is just, you know, it's just what everybody does. Folks, do you know that complaining, that God calls it a sin? You say, well, Matt, that's a little extreme. Why would you say that? Because the Bible says uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, not that I speak in respect of want or lacking. Paul said, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Because in essence, when you complain about something, do you know what you're saying is, you're saying, I am not content. It's sort of like this. Really what you're saying is, God, what you have given me right now is not good enough. Now, we would never say that to God's face, but we would complain instead. Because complaining, we were able to package that up and make it look really pretty. But you know, God even calls complaining a sin. You know what? You know what that just does? Is it just kind of proves and it shows to us that we are all sinners. Some people think that they haven't done anything wrong for I don't know where where you got off, but every single one of us is every single one of us is a sinner. The Bible says, Romans 3:23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians 3:22 says that the scripture has concluded all under sin. You say, but Mr. Man, I'm not as bad as, you know, like her, like my sister down the row. Like I get, I get it. Sisters are pretty rough, but, um, but even though you might say, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as my sister. Listen, guys, when you compare yourself to your sister, sure, you'll look good. But when you compare yourself to God, guess what? You'll realize you're a sinner because God is absolutely perfect. He's never done anything wrong. And yet you and me, we have broken God's law. You say, well, Matt, what is sin? Everyone, I want everyone to get your fingers out, get your hands out and do this for me. We're going to ask ourselves a question. I think you'll know this question. We're going to ask the question, what is sin? Sin is anything I think, anything I say, or anything I do that breaks God's law. Do that with me again. Here we go. What is sin? Sin is anything I think. Anything I say or anything I do that breaks God's law. And you know, God's law has all kinds of instructions in it that we have broken. You know, God's law says that we're not supposed to lie. You ever told a lie? You know what that means? You've broken God's law. You're a sinner. You ever stolen something? God's law says we're not supposed to steal. You know what that makes you? A sinner. Uh, have you ever um, disrespected your parents? Yeah, haven't we all? Adults. Us too. You know what that makes us? 
sinners. Uh, you might say, uh, you know, the, the, it could be disrespecting parents. May, have you ever taken God's name in vain? You ever used God's name in, in a vain way? You know what God calls that? Sin. You know, uh, if we, st- and you know, these are, by the way, these were just a few things I pulled from the Ten Commandments. You know, oftentimes in our arrogance, do we not like to just kind of say, oh, well, Brother Matt, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. Folks, if you've ever stolen something, if you've ever disrespected your parents, if you've ever um, lied, if you've ever lusted, if you've ever, um, if you've ever taken God's name in vain, that's just five of the Ten Commandments that you've broken. You're already halfway through breaking them all. I mean, folks, we are not as good as we like to think we are. The Bible says that we are all sinners. And so, you know, the nation of Israel, they've committed a sin. We, we sin as well. And so the Bible says that because they're complaining and all that, the Bible says that God sent punishment for their sin. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, God has to punish sin. Listen, if, he, if God did not punish sin, he would not be fair. You know, if a judge didn't punish someone for a crime, you know what you call that judge? Not fair. And yet, uh, somehow we want, like, when it comes to us standing before God, the Bible describes him as a judge. When we stand before God, we want God to give us a pass on a lot of stuff. But folks, our sin must be punished. And you know something? is that God was going to send a punishment on his people here for their sin. And what that punishment was, I'm not going to tell you. I am going to show you. Now, if you know your Bibles, relax. I don't have like a special box, okay? I have an extra, I have a balloon. So I'm going to show you with balloons what God's punishment was on his people that day. Right here, I have, I have a, oh yeah, I heard it, a snake. This is it. There's his tongue sticking out right there. Yeah, see that? That's that cool. So I got a, uh, So we've got a, a snake all coiled up here. You say, well, why would you make a snake? Because the Bible says in the book of Numbers, chapter number 21 and verse number uh, 6, it says that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. So, so you know what God's punishment was? His punishment was that he sent snakes amongst the people. Now, how many of you out here hate snakes? You hate snakes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Snakes are kind of one of those, uh, for some people that you just, uh, you see them and it just freaks you out. Yeah. So, so there were snakes all over the place. Could you imagine though? Remember, this isn't just like, Oh, during the summertime, I went out and I saw a snake. I mean, when God sent the punishment of these fiery serpents, these snakes were everywhere. I mean, and remember they're living in tents. How many of you have ever been out camping in a tent before? You ever been out You know, those things don't keep everything out. <laughs> they really don't. They're like, oh, you've got a nice zipper here. Yeah, I don't know. Stuff still gets inside somehow, and uh, especially the rain, right? Stuff gets inside. Could you imagine living in tents and the snakes that were coming around all the time? I mean, you'd just be trying to just live your life, and you're just kind of walking around, just kind of chilling, and you're just kind of walking, and all of a sudden, you don't, you don't even know what you're doing, and a snake, ju- and a snake jumps out and bites you, and uh, you just don't, uh, you have to watch out for it, you know? And uh, so these snakes were absolutely everywhere, and the Bible says that they were fiery serpents. Now you say, like, did they breathe fire? Okay, so I don't think they breathed fire. More than likely, what it meant was that when one of these snakes would bite you, it left, uh, the, the, the bite that it, that it put on you left like a burning sensation that would just burn and it would inflame and it would feel, have this burning sensation. But you say, well, I guess they were poisonous. Was it really bad? Well, verse six says, much people of Israel died. 
You know why these, so many people died? You know why? Because God doesn't think your sin is funny. You do. God doesn't. God is not laughing at your sin. God is not, God is not some kind of old man who just kind of lets us all pass on our sin and just like, oh, I'm too old to care. That is not who God is. God has to punish sin. And he doesn't think your sin is funny. And folks, the payment that God says, the, the payment for sin is death. Even, even for us today, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, it says that the wages of sin is death. The only sufficient thing that can pay for your sins is death. Now, sometimes we think that our good works will pay for our sins. or We think that, uh, you know, like a baptism will pay for sins. Folks, nowhere in the Bible do you find that those things pay for sins. The Bible says over and over that death is the only sufficient payment for sins, which is why God allowed these snakes to come amongst the people and began to bite people and they began to die. And in verse number seven, it says, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we, we've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord, and we've spoken against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. So the people were willing to admit their sin. They wanted to ask forgiveness of God. They said, Moses, pray for us. We want these snakes gone. We wanna, we've sinned against God. Pray for us. And so verse 8, they want the snakes gone. So God has a way that the snakes are going to go away. Verse number 8, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Ooh, like fiery serpent. Like, like, like what kind? Well, it says in verse number nine that Moses made a serpent out of brass. So Moses gets some brass, melts it down, and he crafts it into the shape of one of those fiery serpents that was crawling on the ground. So he designs one. Okay, then what? Then it says, uh, the Lord said, Take, make thee a fiery serpent, he says, and set it upon a pole. Okay, well, thankfully, I have a pole. So he would have pulled out some kind of a pole from somewheres, and he would have taken that brass snake and stuck it up on the pole. Well, now what? Then it says in verse 8, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, it says, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Like, that's it? That's it. And verse 9 says, Moses made the serpent of brass. He put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass... He lived. And so Moses probably took this out, put it somewhere like right in the middle of the camp so that all the Israelites could see. I'll do questions at the end. Okay, don't forget your question, all right? And so he sticks this pole in the, gra in the ground. And so people everywhere can see this, uh, this brass snake up on the pole. And the Bible says that God had promised and said, listen, if you get bit by a snake, you don't have to go get medicine. You don't have to go to a doctor. God said, you just need to come out and look at that snake and you'll live. Now, listen. There was no like magical properties inside the snake. Like the snake did not like glow and like shoot like rays of healing down at people. No, none of that weirdness. Because what all that happened was when they would look, you know what would happen? God did miracles. God would heal the people. There's no kind of weird like glows and rays coming down. No, it was just God simply would heal the people because God had designed one way. He made one, it was, by the way, it was a very simple way. It was one simple way that the people could be healed from their snake bites. Now, and a lot of people took advantage of it. Now, let me ask you boys and girls a question. What would happen? I want you to just think about it. Just think about it. What would happen if, if like you got bit by a snake and, um, and you were like, oh, you know, just going out and like looking at a snake on a pole, that, that just sounds, uh, that sounds too simple. It's got to be more complicated than that. I wonder if someone might have said that. 
Maybe there was someone who said, oh, well, that, that's way might work for you, but uh, I've got my own way that works too. Well, guess what would happen to that person? They die of their snake bite. Yeah, exactly right. Um, what if someone said, well, I get it that that's what God said, but, but there's got to be something that I've got to do to take care of the snake bite. You know what would happen to them? They die too. What if someone said, what if someone said, oh, guess what? I found a snake doctor and he knows all about snakes and he can heal people from snake bites. You know what would happen if someone went to a snake doctor? They die. Now, I'm sure there would have been someone out there, one of you, one of you, and she's gone, one of you would have, would have been out there and said, oh, your snake bite, I have essential oils, I have essential oils, I can take care of you, and uh, you know, you're like, oh, you got a snake bit on the top of your head, let me rub this lavender on your foot, and this thing's going to like creep up your leg and go up there and go wipe it, I don't know, you know, that's just, uh, you know, the only, people, the only oil I've ever found to be essential, truly essential is bacon grease, okay, that's the only oil that I find to be truly essential, in my opinion, and I know, you're like, that's not what essential means. I know, but I like to watch you jump like that, so that's, that's cool. All right, so anyway, um, so, so what if someone had said, well, I have some essential oils. What if that's all they did was just try to rub on uh, some herbs and try to get some, uh, take a medicine or something like that? Guess what would happen to them? They'd die. God had made one way that you could be healed from your snake bite. Only one way. And you know what? Those who, who believe God, and really what they did was they were putting their trust on God to, to save them from their snake bite. When they'd look at this, uh, at this snake, they would live. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to close it out by just doing this. If you're fast with your fingers, you can turn over to the book of John chapter 3. But if you're not, then just hang with me. Because you know what happened over in John chapter 3? We're going way into the New Testament. This is now the time of Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to a very religious man, a guy who knew his Bible, uh, and a very religious man. And he said to him in John chapter 3, verse number 14, Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, hey, 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 we know about that, right? We know what that is. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we know what that is. So Jesus knew about this story and he's referring back to it. So he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it says, I'll get your question at the end, okay? Hang Hang on to your question, okay? He says, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, the Son of Man, that's just a reference to Jesus. So Jesus says, in the same way that Moses lifted up a serpent, you know, this brass serpent on a wooden pole, he says, even so, there's going to come a time when Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to be lifted up on a wooden pole. Hey, um, can you think, this is not a trick question, can you think of any time when um, Jesus was put on some kind of a wooden pole? Can you think of a time, what time was that? When was that? Yeah, you got it, man, when he was put on a cross. And you know what happened that day? Jesus says, you know how, you know how um, uh, the snake was lifted up on a pole and that, uh, how the, he was put on that wooden pole? Jesus says in the same way, Jesus says, a day is coming. A day that is going to be a dark day. But he says, on that day, the Son of Man is also going to be lifted onto a pole. But it wasn't just a straight-up pole. Rather, it was a cross. And on that cross that day, uh, you can read about it at the end of each of the Gospels, Jesus hung on a cross. You know why he was hanging on that cross? Because he was God's only solution to save you from your sins. In the same way that this snake was the one solution to save people from their snake bites, Jesus is the only way to save people from their sins. Jesus said so. In John chapter 3, he said, so that uh, the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. You know what the word believe means? He says, if you want to have eternal life, you want to not perish, die in your sins, and go to hell, he says, you have got to, he uses the word believe. Now, what does the word believe mean? The word believe is real simple. It means this. It means to trust or to depend. You know, there's a lot of people out there would just say, oh, I believe in God. I believe God's out there. So does that mean I'm going to heaven? No. Because actually the book of James says that the devils also believe in God. So if you're out there saying, I I believe in God. I feel like that should get me to heaven. Guess what? The demons also believe in God. So you're not actually doing very much, okay? So what does he mean by when he says that you need to believe on him? The word believe means to trust or to depend. Folks, in that day... In the same way that those Israelites, they had to put their trust. They had to put their dependence on this, on this snake on the pole, that they had to put their trust on that to save them from their snake bite. In the same way, Jesus says, you've got to put your trust on my death on the cross as the only sufficient payment for your sins. Jesus said, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, well, I think there's multiple roads to heaven. Friend, I'm not trying to be mean. You're going to get really surprised when you get to heaven. Because Jesus told you in his Bible, there's not multiple ways. You say, well, I believe it. Believe it until you get there. And you find out that God goes by his Bible, not by what you think. He says, if you want to know eternal life, you've got to put your dependence on Jesus Christ alone. You got to put your dependence on him. Has there ever been a time, has there ever been a time when you've done that? In the same way, there was only one way you could be healed from your snake bite. So Jesus has made one way that, that sinners can be saved from their sins. Has there ever been a time that you have put your dependence on Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins? Listen, if there's been, hey, that's a great thing. You know, what's great is that when God gives someone eternal life, he doesn't take it back. Okay. That's a wonderful thing from God that he does. But you know, maybe you're sitting here today and you've never put your dependence on Jesus Christ alone. You might be a child sitting right down here in one of these front rows. You might be a teenager. You might be an adult. Listen, one day we're all going to step into eternity. And who or what are you depending on to save you from your sins and give you eternal life. The Bible says you only have one option. It's Jesus Christ. You depend on Jesus Christ's death on the cross or nothing. He doesn't say you could do, you could do good works if you want to. He doesn't say you could do sacraments and, and communion if you want to. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Colossians 1.14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So Romans 10.13 says that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what? Today's a great day for you to call out to God and ask him to save you from your sins. Whether you are a child on the front row, a child on the second row, a teenager in the crowd, or if you are an adult out there in the crowd, today's a good day to do that. And what we want to do here at Elmira Baptist, we want to give you a chance to do that. Now listen, you can put it off because you might be, you might be able to live another, you know, 20, 25 years, 30, 50, 60 years. I don't know, but you might not have much longer. And that's not a threat that's reality. That's just reality. We don't know how long we're going to live. Have you put your trust on Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? Can I tell you something? God's arms are open wide. That he would love to forgive you if you're willing to admit you're the sinner that God says you are. Admit that your sin ought to be punished and accept Jesus as the one payment for your sins. So I want to give you a chance to do that right now if you never have before. So let's do this. 